Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Thanks Dave Slade and thank you for tuning in for today's Baseball America podcast. It's uh, Our podcasts are now sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and children. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. That's Baseball and ISM.com. Or visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017. That's BA2017 to save 20% off. So... We thank Baseballism for being part of the Baseball America podcast, and we thank you for listening. Feel free to rate us on your iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you download this podcast. And, J.J., we are cranking around the bend toward the end here of prospects. We, we, we have a, a, a ticking clock because we, do. we basically do view it as not this upcoming Friday, which is the Top 100 Prospect <laughs> Show, MLB Network, 9 p.m. Then we're the, the rest of the week after that, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, We'll be also talking with the top 100, prospect handbook being out, all these things with that. Some of you already have your prospect handbook. Uh, includes me. I have my I'm prospect handbook mine. right in my hands. And if you ordered directly from us, uh, you already have your prospect handbook or you will get it soon. And But the, by the Friday after that, we have the college preview and we start the 2017 season. And in our mind, and I think this is very logical, the 2017 season starts, and then all of a sudden, the off season's over, yeah. and our gaze turns to 2017. Who are will be at spring training? Will be starting. Well, we are in at that point, 2017. So the clock is ticking. We need to get these podcasts done. We have at this point two teams in the Central and the NL West, so seven teams to go. We're still, we will get it done. It's 2017, but we're really kind of still talking all about the 2016 season. It's kind of like, you know, the 80s didn't really end until Smells Like Team Spirit came out. You know, the 70s ended when Reagan was shot, and that really kicked off the 80s. It's one of those, one of those kind of things. Um, I was actually trying to think of that for the 21st century, and... Couldn't come up with one. Um, but I'll tell you, that the 20th... Well, I mean, unfortunately, it's tragic, but 9-11 is the well, start Well, certainly, yeah. that, that, that's that, that end of the 20th century. Yes. But for the tw- 2000s, like for the aughts, for the what aughts. ended the aughts, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the defining characteristic of 2010, 9, or 11, 11 or 12. 12 was. Yeah, so I think of I think of it as an, uh, in political terms, and uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, JJ, there's no good transition from that to the Milwaukee Brewers. Just going to go dive right into the Milwaukee Brewers. And this was one of the most interesting organizations for us to do. Tom Hodricourt writes up the Brewers' top 30 for us every year. Um, I think I did the Brewers one time. We gave Tom one year off. Um, but Tom is kind of Mr. Baseball in, uh, in mm-hmm. Milwaukee. Um, but this year, this Brewers list was one of the most challenging. And I think as we did our top 100 meeting, we had Brewers from all over this top the- 10 in the top 100. This is an organization, and I mean this in a good way. And let, let's explain. We'll explain a little bit of the process. So Tom's sending in, and then Tom's very good about this, sending in your list to us and even the list that we send in ourselves. Like when I turn in my one of my teams, it's not like you go, here's the one, here's 30, there you go. It's granite. It's, I've chiseled it in. We're set. No, there's a lot of discussion. The Brewers was probably the most fascinating, the most difficult because this is an organization that 
you could argue that they don't have a true number one, not because they don't have a true number one, but because you could make an argument for, I do believe, probably up to eight players yeah. who you could make a, a reasonable argument. I will say Corey Ray was considered, if not the best, he was considered probably the second best college bat in this draft class. I think Fair. he was the second best, yes. I would take Nick Senzel over him eight times out of ten. But Corey Ray was that. Corey Ray, if Corey Ray was number one on this list, he's number four. If Corey Ray was number one on this list, that is Perfectly absolutely respectable. It's yes. clear top hundred prospect. Lucas Urseg was number nine. And I think that if you asked you If me and JJ had sodium pentothal and you asked me <laughs> And you said, who are you most enthused about of everyone on this top 30? He actually might be second for me in enthusiasm after Brandon Woodruff. Because I'm I, all about Brandon Woodruff. And I am too. <laughs> we, 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 we are of, of same minds on You're this. You're a little kismet there, yes. But both oh, of those guys, both of those guys, I do think you really, you, you look at them and you say, I could make a case for him to be number one. Now, Lucas Ersig, by the process of how we do this, is not going to be number one on this list, and I say that because you don't. We do not put when you talk about the, uh, an organization that has this many guys at the top of the list, solid top hundred prospects. Lucas Ersig was not a second rounder who was number four on our BA five hundred, right? And then Lucas Ersig was had some hickeys that he you know had some. Some things that you knew he was going to fall a little bit in the draft. The short He's version talk- is he flunked out of Cal, and then while he was an excellent player at the NAIA level, he only hit 305 there. Right. The analytics do not tell you that a 305 NAIA hitter should be a top 100 prospect or even a number one or number two in an organization. That being said, we talked to scouts, you did, I did, who saw Urseg last year and pro ball. And that's, again, that's one of the fun things is, is – when these guys get moved into pro ball. whole new set of eyes. A whole new set of eyes. And a, net, a set of eyes that often is looking at it. And I, this is, I think, one of the benefits of it. They're not looking at it saying, this guy was the first round pick, so he's clearly better than this guy. Right. They're looking at it saying, they'll often come away saying, why was that guy the first round pick? That's right. Why not this guy? They'll ask us, what did this guy do to get right. to that high? And now think about with Lucy, let's even compare Lucas Ursig and Corey Ray. Yeah. If you're a pro scout, and you, I know pro scouts who do this, who go in blind, they deliberately, they're not saying that they have not heard the name, but they do not go in saying, I want to know who was the first round pick. I want to know. They're going to look at it. They want to look at it first from a tools basis, what they like about the swing, all those things. And Lucas Ersig, if you look at him over a five-game stretch, he may do several things to really wow you. There's not a below-average tool for Ursay. There's not. Corey Ray, I'm not sure there's a below-average tool there either, but Lucas Ursay has the same number of sixes on the card as Corey Ray does. And honestly, I probably have a little more faith in Lucas Ursay's hit tool than I do Corey Ray's. I think Corey Ray has a little more power than Lucas Ursay. But pure hitability, I give a slight edge to Ursay. All things being equal, J.J., they could be pretty equal players with one being in the dirt and one being in center field. But if Corey Ray winds up in left field, then, the then Ursig. give me Urseg. Exactly. Because he's a, he's a true third baseman. That's right. And uh, he's a third baseman who, like, I mean, the arm, again, we talk about, but 
at third, the arm is what? He was up to 97 in the, as a pitcher in college. So if Lucas Erceg, and I, this is a slight digression, <laughs> I really loved Cal's 2016 team, but I really loved Cal's 2016 team in the summer of 2015 when Dalton Jeffries was healthy, when Lucas Erceg was uh, at Cal, when I thought they probably, like in June, when I thought they were going to probably get top Canadian recruit Mike Soroka, when I thought Alex Schick was healthy, you know, yada, yada, yada down the line, all Cal's best laid plans got torpedoed when I still thought that Mike New was going to be their pitching coach, not the head coach of Pacific. Every single thing that could have gone wrong for Cal went wrong. Hey, you know, I bet you that uh, it's the former uh, Rangers uh, second-round pick at a Cal Poly, Thomas Eager, who's now their pitching coach. I bet Thomas Eager's going to be a really good pitching coach. But Mike New recruited all those guys. Those were his guys. I think they would have been better with Mike New as their pitching. So I'm not knocking Tom Eager. I'm just saying I really have faith in Mike New. So I loved so – on some parallel universe, Cal won the 2016 College World Series because they should have been. And we wrote about it last year, how bad the Pac-12 was and the West was down. That's because Cal wasn't the team. It should have been end college 2016 digression. But – Again, we mentioned Brandon Woodruff, J.J. There's some other another college note, another college tangent. Mississippi State. Mississippi State 2013. The prep class of Tennessee 2013 is not my favorite 2013 draft story. Understand, it's the 2013 Mississippi State team. So Which on its includes? way to seven big leaguers from the 2013 uh, Mississippi State team, whereas UCLA to this point has zero big leaguers from the 2013 National Championship team. No, I'm sorry, one. Forgot Adam Plutko got there this mm-hmm. year. There will be, I can confidently say, I believe there will be zero impact big leaguers from 2013 UCLA. 2013 Mississippi State's already had Kendall Graveman, who's one of the top three or four college pitchers from that draft class, a bad college draft bad. class. And he's and he was an eighth-round pick for five grand. Jonathan Holder, Lindgren, Jacob Lindgren, who wasn't good enough to pitch in the postseason for Mississippi State that year. But Chad Ger- in the big leagues. It's not, Chad Girodo. Um, those guys have already been to the big leagues, plus Adam Frazier and uh, my personal cheese ball to end all personal cheese balls, the deer hunter himself, Hunter Renfro. And number seven is Brandon Woodruff. Who isn't there yet, but will be there soon. He will be there. And the thing that separates Brandon Woodruff for me, JJ, first off, high draft out of high school by the Rangers, didn't sign. Was a dude. There were two guys that year out of... Uh, physically yeah. is a dude. He was a dude in high school. He's physically a dude. Did not pitch a ton, could not throw a ton of strikes at uh, Mississippi State. But the main thing that they've gotten through to him uh, as a pro, better tempo and the mound presence has really improved. And then the separator for me with this guy is the makeup. I'm going to give Verklemp talking about it, where his brother died in this ATV accident this year. Goes to the funeral, comes back in double A and hits a home run in that game and pitches a shutout. I mean... This is like storybook stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, tragic and uh, just what Brandon Woodruff did on the course of the season, leading the minor leagues in strikeouts, he's got stuff. Delivery got better. Control got better. Stuff got better. Yeah. I mean, So everything improves for Brandon Woodruff. And he's number seven. That's a pretty good list, J.J. And it starts off with uh, several trade pieces with Lewis Brinson, Josh Hader, Luis Ortiz. I want to ask you real quick, uh, Lewis Brinson, you know, it almost feels like he uh, he's a hard guy to measure because his performance has come in streaks. 
Yes. There have been peaks when and he's valleys. Good. When he's good, but he's that, been really good. But he's also epic team, though. What was that, 2013 Hickory Crawdads? Yes. I mean, you went and saw those guys, yes. and we put Gallo on the cover, and it was like, this team's insane. And now you look at it, and it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, there's, there, the funny thing is, is how much of that team is now playing in, with different colored uniforms. Yes, there have been a lot of trades yeah. off that club. But, um, but, and Lucas Brinson, uh, Lewis, Lewis Brinson is one, one of them. But Jorge Alfaro is another one. Uh, yeah. But Nomar Mazzara, Joey Gallo, Jorge, Ryan Ruin yeah. in the big leagues. But, uh, but Brinson, you, you look at it, and you, when you see, when Lewis Brinson's been at his best, he's been really good. Now, his best has often coincided with being in parks where it's easy to be your best. Yeah, that's true. His best was at High Desert, no and doubt. he was outstanding. Out of this world. But it's high desert. It's a lot easier to be outstanding in high desert. His best was he was he had some injuries, but pre-trade this last year he wasn't that great. Frisco Double A, right? He was pretty, you know, like the the, the on base percentage plunged. Yeah, wasn't ma- you know he's still making he's still hitting for some power, but other than that, not a whole lot. And then he goes to Colorado Springs again, great place to hit, and. Lewis Brinson was insane again. And so, that being said, the athleticism, there's athleticism there. Still there. There's a legit pump, thump in the bat. Yeah, this guy's always had raw power. It's really, to me, he's the most like Adam Jones guy kind of in the minor leagues. He's a bigger version of Adam Jones. but A little less defensively, too, but yeah. yes, I but, agree with you that... Offensively, there's a lot of similarities to Adam Jones where I think he's going to be a productive major league player, and I think he'll be a center fielder. I don't think he'll be... A gold glove center fielder like Adam Jones is kind of that, that well, caliber of player. But that's the fascinating thing also with this Brewers club yeah. is you have a million center fielders. You have a million center fielders. Brett Phillips is number 12 on this list. Could be a center fielder. Could be a center fielder. Corey Ray, we talked about, could be a center fielder. Yeah. Trent Clark's probably when this, you know, we're talking about this group, Trent Clark probably ends up in a corner. He's a big right. he's a big guy. Right. But Again, you could you you've been able to find guys who think he's a center fielder. But all these guys are athletic. They have a lot of athletic outfielders. And <laughs> Monte Harrison's number twenty, and he's like, I mean, athletic, about me. athleticism, athleticism, athleticism. Ryan Cordell, I mean, another trade piece from the so the, so there are a lot of athletic outfielders Demi here. Demi Orimile. Orimile, thank you. Yes, I mean, again, that's. Do we print his whole name because he's triple O? That would be the easiest nickname, because Demi is short for, uh, it's not Ordis Samer, but it's a longer first name, and his middle name is also, starts with a no. But they have cornered the market, draft, trade, athletic outfielders. Zach Clark, who's I think even a depth chart guy, is like, I mean, was a premium athlete type guy too. I mean, that's... I mean, like Tyrone Taylor, who two years ago was their number one prospect, (laughs) hasn't hit really since then. Uh, they're athletic outfielders. So some of these guys we projected to be on the corner. They have one of the fastest guys in the minor leagues in Johnny Davis. Um, not talked about as often when we talk about the Terrence Gores of the world, but this is a guy who was at L.A. Harbor Junior College, I think. And uh, I was at the Los Angeles area junior college and ran track prior to that at a four-year school. But we decided to give baseball a try. went to a junior college to play baseball. And uh, Johnny Davis can flat-out fly. So he's made some progress, even in the minor league. He's on the depth chart. Um, that's, a, that's a guy, if the Brewers were in the postseason in 2017 and needed a Terrence Gore, J.J., they're going to go get Johnny Davis. So. Asterisk. 
a little subscript here that says Brewers will not be in the playoffs. This is in correct. This is correct. Um, but if they are, if, if by some crazy chance in they some are, alternate universe, it's going to be because Josh Hader on some other planet it shoves and Jorge Lopez comes back to his old form. JJ, their approach on pitching hasn't been as successful, I don't think, as their approach has been on, especially these athletic outfielders or even some infielders. Which pitchers? We mentioned Woodruff. I think you and I like Woodruff. Do you like Hader better than I Woodruff? like Hader better? Okay, I do think. I, I, do I, mean, t- I think I do too. Even though I have a, a high level, Brandon Woodruff is more um, conventional. Conventional. Josh Hader is from the low slot Johnson family. You know, but you know what? Again, John, that that's a, that's a family that grows every year. It does, and that's the thing about it is, is no longer do you have to comp every low slot lefty who you think is going to make it to the big leagues as a starter. Right. You don't have to put a Chris Sale on, which is a crazy thing to put on a whole lot of guys because Chris crazy. Sale is really really good. Or of course Randy Johnson. Now you could well, and again, Randy, usually with that it's like, is he six ten? No. Right. Okay, let's move along. Right. But now you can say he's an Adam Conley type. Right. You can, and Josh Hader, 6'3", 185, and the one caveat I keep having about him, Eddie keeps putting this in my head, is you don't see too many guys get traded twice in the minor leagues who do turn out great. There are some, but why did the Orioles, why were they so quick to trade him for Bud Norris? Why'd they give up on him? I mean, they needed Bud Norris, but the Astros give him up again in the Carlos Gomez deal. It's just curious that he's been traded a couple times, but I think some people back off because of what he did at Colorado Springs. But that doesn't boy, worry me. That start and that start at Biloxi, that's as good as you can be in Double A. So I, I think I have no. You can, you, he could have very easily been number one as well. I have no questions that Josh Hader is going to miss bats. My only question is: Is, is he going to miss bats in three to five out stints? Right. Or is he going to miss them in fifteen to eighteen out stints? I lean toward the 15 to 18 to 21. I and I think, again, if the Brewers, let's say 2018 is when they contend, if they do it in the next two to three years, Josh Hader is going to be a big part of it. I happen to believe in in the stuff. And that, foul, that fastball is crazy, and the slider is a, a pitch that when you know, He seems to be able to stay on top of it, even from that slot. Well, let's, now that's the thing, is, is that the Brewers right now, if you're looking at where they're going, at some point, they're probably going to have too many outfielders. Right. Which is a good problem to have. Right. You want If you're the Brewers, you do hope that at some point you're going to turn around and you're going to say, well, for one, you're going to turn around and you're going to say, hey, maybe we need to trade some of our current outfield because we have these young, Certainly. exciting, which that's how they get better in one way. But the other thing about it is, is that I do look at the pitching staff. They're going to need a lot of help. You're not. You don't see a whole lot of pitchers on their current staff that you say, "I think that guy will be part of the next successful Brewers playoff team." It's hard because, la- like last year's top two starters for them, basically were Zach Davies, who was mm-hmm. kind of a more of a back of the rotation type, and Junior Guerra. And I'm a, you know, I'm a Junior Guerra fan. Former Indy ball, former Indy ball top uh, prospect. So basically, can Willie Peralta or or uh, Nelson, Jimmy Nelson, can either of those guys? Figure things back out again. These are again former top pitching prospects for the Brewers. I think Nelson. It's more likely than Peralta. But even Peralta's with been both of them, the reality is, is like when they were top prospects, they were top prospects in the, you know, these guys. You hope that they become solid threes slash fours, and right. they haven't really gotten there all the way. But, Peralta kind of did. Peralta's but, had a good peak. Jimmy Nelson hasn't done it over the course of a full season. Full season, but that's 
those that's all the best you could hope for with those guys. And I think that's even maybe even a little bit optimistic. That's the best you could hope for. You have to again, I agree with you. If you're looking for who's going to be on the front end of a, a Brewers playoff team, Hader is the guy that comes to mind because yeah. he could do that. I think so. Brandon I've, Woodruff, he's probably not in your eye. More than number three, Tom. Yes. More, I mean, he fits in more in that Jimmy Nelson, Willie Peralta, some of the same strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I think he's a little better than those guys at his best. A little better command than, than Jimmy Nelson's had. But but the other guy we got to talk about then is this number eight, Phil Bickford. He's an X factor for sure. He, this is the most mysterious two-time first-round pick of the 21st century, JJ. I mean... You don't see a lot. You don't see. Uh, you, you don't go through your Twitter feed and go, "Oh, somebody had this Q and A with Phil Bickford," or "Oh, Phil Bickford just got retweeted in my Twitter," yeah. or "I saw this video of Phil Bickford doing box jumps on Facebook." You don't see any of that. This guy may as well live in a van down by the river. I mean, you just don't know much about Phil Bickford, even though he's been in the Futures game. He's been a, a star in the Cape. He was a first round pick at a high school. He was a first round pick at a junior college. He's been traded for big leaguers. It was a pretty unimpressive look at the Futures game on Phil Bickford this year, mm-hmm. JJ. And the thing is, the velocity reports on him since high school have remained inconsistent, erratic, sporadic, plus right. velocity. When you see Phil Bickford at his best, and we saw that this year, it did happen this year. It wasn't every time out. But right when he got to San Jose, yeah, a couple of outings where... He could dominate with one pitch. Right. He has that kind of fastball. He had, I would love to see the spin rate on Phil Bickford's fastball. Because at its best, he has deception with this pitch out of this low slot. He's got late finish to the zone. And the ball's a heavy ball. But there are, and it'll be 92-93, touching sixes. Then at other times, it just seems like it's a very hittable pitch. I mean, part of that is... If all of a sudden 92-93 is 89-90-91, yeah. that's, that's not the same. That you, it's much harder to dominate with a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. And if you don't have – especially when you don't have to really consider anything else. And his slider and changeup are pretty inconsistent. The breaking ball has been pretty inconsistent throughout his career. Now, right. Scouting report has it as a high-spin fastball. When it's at its best, that's a pitch that's going to finish and he can pitch up and down in the zone, in and out. So he can, like you said, dominate off that one pitch. You know, some of the Giants uh, uh, front office people were like, yeah, it's almost, you know, it's got some similarities to Bumgarner in that he has, he may not have elite fastball velocity, but he has that swing and miss and that Bum, deception. Well, let's be honest. Bumgarner was a guy when he was in double A who was dominating. Yes. And I do mean dominating. Yes. With one pitch at times. Which was an 89-mile-an-hour fastball. Right. At, at, on the good night, yeah. sometimes in double-A, sometimes it was 86, 87. So if Phil Bickford were left-handed, I'd feel a lot better about him. But, I, th- I think of him probably long-term. Also got a suspension that he's got to, yes. you know. So, and this is consistent over his career. You know, he was in one high school, then Fullerton, then a junior in uh, College of Southern Nevada, junior college. Then uh, the Giants, now the Brewers. This guy is not a long time. He has. He, that's all since 2013, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Phil Bickford's been. It's like a secret that's been passed around. I mean, there's enough to make you want him, and then there's 
enough questions for him to leave or people to that, teams already to he's trade He's number eight on this list, and I feel very, that's one that I feel very comfortable. Yeah. I did not want him. Like, yeah. again, I wasn't considering him for one. I'll put it that way. Lucas Orson was nine. I would have heard the argument. The other thing with this club, J.J., is there really is – there's no pure number one. There's a lot of guys who could have been number one. I think that's fair, that there's mm-hmm. no guy on here. Like, I like Lewis Brinson. I like Josh Hader. I don't love him. I like Luis Ortiz. I don't know that I love him three, but he does have upside. He has a higher risk grade but a higher ceiling than both Brinson and Hader, who rank mm-hmm. ahead of him. He and Corey Ray both listed with higher ceilings but, but riskier players. Um but both those guys, to me, uh, all, the, all those guys could have been number one, but none of them is a slam dunk number one. However, they have top ten caliber prospects way down deep. And that's the thing. That's what inter- what's interesting about this is, is I think it's a very good farm system. Yeah. But the other part of it is, is it's a very good farm system, even though they had a whole lot of guys who had bad years. Right. That's true. Like Jorge Lopez. Jorge Lopez had a terrible year. Cody Ponson Cody didn't have a, didn't have a great year. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know. Cody Madero. Cody Madero's. They also had the single worst team in minor league baseball this year, which was Brevard County. Last year, the Brevard County man- Manatees that went out like suckers, unfortunately for them. 97 losses. That's at 144 games, 140 game schedule, JJ. That is hard to do, and they had prospects. I believe they had Jacob Gatewood. They had Cody Medeiros. They had Corey Ray after the draft. They got some reinforcements. Um, that was a really tough. That was a tough team. But just didn't think nothing went well for them. Jacob Nottingham didn't have. I mean, Brett Phillips yeah. didn't have a good year. They're pretty much there 10 through 20. Demi Rimelay didn't have a good year. Tyrone Taylor. Had a terrible year. And Nathan Kirby didn't pitch. And neither did Devin Williams, two of their higher ceiling pitchers. You have all these guys where if, you, if you're a Brewers fan and you're optimistic, you could say this is a good farm system. And if these guys bounce back, we could be a great farm system. And absolutely, if yeah. these guys bounce back, this could be the best farm system in baseball. It could be. That's exactly right. They, they have the depth of talent to take a significant their, lead. Their depth rivals basically the Braves, the Padres, the Yankees. Those are the other teams I think of with having extreme depth of talent. JJ, we actually have a good Twitter question uh, about Jorge Lopez from a longtime BA reader and BrewerFan.net, Denizen uh, Moose Haas on mm-hmm. uh, Twitter. Moss Haas, I should say. It's a Jim Goulart. Jim asks, how much are we looking forward to seeing Jorge Lopez coming off a strong winter season pitching the World Baseball Classic? Well, A, Jim, we're always looking forward to watching anyone <laughs> pitch in the Baseball Classic, World Baseball Classic. I was looking forward to Puerto Rico's ace four years ago, Nelson Figueroa, because J.J. and I had both had covered Nelson Figueroa. Everyone in the, 1995 in the South hated him. They yes. hated him. And they hated him for a good reason. It wasn't like they hated him because it was like, this guy is beating us yeah. with mediocre stuff. Yes. And that really frustrates us. Yes. But Jorge Lopez does not have mediocre stuff, J.J. At his best, he's got an above-average fastball and a really good curveball. But at times last year, he had mediocre stuff. Yes, uh, below mediocre. Colorado, and, Colorado Springs, did he did not handle that jump and that challenge to, very well. Tough to spin it at altitude. But he had a five-inning five no-hitter, uh, five no-hit innings in one outing for Mayaguez in Puerto Rico this year. Went back to the Puerto Rican League in his native Puerto Rico. Uh, 34 and two-thirds innings. Uh, 156 ERA, 17 hits, only 13 walks, 32 I, strikeouts. A few too many walks. I do. I, I, Puerto Rico, though, is notoriously weak winter ball competition right now. 
I, I was going to say, I hate to say it, I don't think that that is necessarily a foreteller of anything. What it does is it gets his confidence back. It's good, That's which important. is good. It, that is good. The other thing I'm a little worried about is, is that, as you said, that was 34 more innings? Yes. That's 34 innings on top of the 125 or so ever. It's not that it's an excessive number of innings. He probably needed the work, though. I mean, he honestly. Needed, but <laughs> he needed the work, but at the same time, that, that makes it a little hard. You're, you're going to be – he's pretty much gone close to year-round here. Right. He was very good in the postseason again as well. Also, 10, 10 more scoreless innings in the postseason for Mike West. So. I'm saying, all this is all good at the same time. But it's 44 po- and two-thirds post-winter uh, innings. I mean, we are talking about a guy who made 24 starts last year, 25 appearances between at altitude, which takes a little <laughs> something out of you, and Biloxi. Yeah. You know, again, it wasn't something where he threw 50 innings last year and you say, man, he, you know what? Yeah, he, his time off was last year. Right. This guy's gone pretty close to year round here and he's going to roll into spring training on, with, because he said WBC, there's no break. Yeah, you'd probably like him to not pitch in the World Baseball Classic if you're the Brewers. To take a little time off. Or if not, you kind of maybe say, you know what? We're, I know you're ramped up. We're going to ramp you back, you know, and. Again, it's just it's a lot of workload. Yeah, concerns me a little bit. I'm not sure what the best way to handle that is. Just let him keep on pitching and then shut him down early, or give him a break and then try to build him back up. I don't. Yeah. If you don't intend to contend this year, it almost seems like you let him keep pitching, but then you set an innings limit or some kind of workload limit, where or you, obviously you can also observe him very closely mm-hmm. and monitor him as closely as you can, and at the first sign of real fatigue, say, "Hey, you're done." Right. And back him you got to be careful. But again, but no. he's 24 I, years old. He'd be 24 on uh, Friday. I hope he'd be celebrating his 24th birthday during the Baseball America Top 50 show on, on MLB Network on February right. 10th. So, but no, I, I do think, I, I think it's with the general answer that you, I would expect him to be better than he was last year. Yes. I, I, I don't I would expect that he'll never, he, I, I do worry that it's going to be hard to ever be as good as he was in 2015, because he was really, really good. That year was stinking good. Even then, again, he's never been an elite strikeout rate guy. Mm-hmm. It's even in his good years, it's 8.8. You know, it's it's never you know 8.6, 7.8 the year before. Even with that really good breaking ball. So I like Jorge Lopez. I don't think of him as a front of the rotation guy. I think of him as like a third or maybe fourth starter, and probably fourth starter, probably more realistic ceiling at this stage after what happened last year. But I, I am encouraged by his winter ball and what, what he was able to do in winter ball. We also uh, had a question from the igniter kid, J.D., obviously a, a you know, homage to, uh, to Paul Molitor. Who's your biggest sleeper in the Brewer system? Someone who isn't high on the list but you think has star potential. J.J., we, we might have to just go off the depth chart. We could say that How goes Tom Zach Hull, Clark. Tom Hull, that, that's a good one. Good. I mean, if you want top deep, you know, I, I don't think Zach's even actually uh, – Yeah, he didn't make was, the depth chart. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of center fielders on there. Zach Clark is a, a JUCO guy last year. 19th round pick. 19th round pick. Uh, power, some strikeouts. Power speed guy. Played some shortstop in JUCO as well, although I think probably center field's best position long term. You talk to some of their the Brewers guys. Like, they say, like, okay, you know, you take a look at this guy tools-wise, and he compares very favorably with – the other guys in this organization, and this is right. a tooled-up group of outfielders. Yeah. He can run, 
There's legit power. It is, you are talking about, again, we talk about high-variance players. He is the highest of high-variance players yeah. because you are talking about a guy who struck out a lot in uh, Mississippi Junior College baseball. That's a big jump to A-ball from there. Right. And I expect he'll go to A-ball this year, um, and you'll see, okay, how well does he handle that jump. But tools-wise, he is a guy who, if he's making even semi-consistent contact, if he's striking out 25% of the time, he could be a very, very, very interesting prospect. Who did you like better in Mississippi Juco's this year? Was it him or was it the guy the Cubs took? And I'm blanking on his name. Delvin Zinn. Delvin Zinn, that's right. I like Clark better. Zinn's a great defender. But Clark, to me, is a guy who can really impact the baseball if it all goes together. That, that, is, uh, that is not what Delvin's in is good at yet. <laughs> He's not there yet. Sleeper for me, you know, I, I, I mentioned like my favorite sleeper is Johnny Davis. But I don't really think of him as a future regular. Uh, you know, they have so much pitching depth. John Perrin is interesting to me. He was pretty good at Oklahoma State in his career there. And I just seem to recall that there were Florida State League guys who liked John Perrin this year, and I did my Florida State League coverage. Trying to call that up right now, and where is my John Perrin notes? I thought I had it. It's an easy name. There are not a lot of Perrins who run around there. But the main thing is he has has physicality to back up his stuff. Uh, More of a sinker slider guy. Um, You know, he does have that kind of – he gets a lot of bulldog um, compliments. Um, There's also – I'm not sure how to pronounce his name – the kid who's from Wisconsin, Josh, is it Ewan? Ewan? U-H-E-N? As if you're uh, you're the regular, regular podcast listeners know, don't ask JJ for pronunciation of names. That's just a, that, that might just be a wild card of, uh, in terms of just arm strength. But, uh, you know, Josh Ewan is, he's already 24 years old. He'll be 25 this year. Um, but pitching out of the bullpen in, in the Florida State League, you know, dude was coming close to throwing a hundo. We just say that all the time now, but, uh, but another just one of those high high octane arms who, you know, they some don't of those guys turn into. That's right. He could turn into a Hunter Strickland, that kind of guy. So a thing that just stands out to me on this is is when you look at the depth chart on this, you can't even it, contain it. You can't contain it. But the thing about it is, is that how many of these guys on the depth chart are guys like I like him a little bit. Like, yeah. Like okay, I mean, just like okay, you look at center field, and again, you said Tyrone Taylor's not a top thirty guy now. He was number one right. back in a thinner farm system here. And Kyle Wren probably, probably will be a big leaguer. Kyle Wren will probably be well, almost assuredly be a big leaguer at some point. He Yadiel, does enough things. Yadiel Rivera has already been a big leaguer, and he's on the depth chart there shortstop. You know, Blake Alamon, if you told me Blake Alamon ended up being a utility infielder for a little while, yeah. would, would not shock me. Trevor Javier Bettencourt. Javier Bettencourt was like a like there are guys who like, you know, who liked it. Now right. remember it may never end up turning anything, but that's a guy who that guy got turned in by a lot of teams when he was in low A. I, I know mean, that. they're corner outfield guys. Victor Roach and Clint Coulter, I don't believe in those guys. They're power over hit. But they have both had their moments in the minor leagues. Malik Collimore, athletic, he had pretty decent winter ball this year. Canadian guy, could pop I, late. Mitch Gelfie, who's deep here on the catcher, <laughs> I liked him out of, coming out of the draft. Like, yeah, not, as a guy, not as a guy, not as a like, but. But he hit in college. He hit in college. Yeah. You know, Bubba Derby is 
buried here on the right hand of starter pitchers. I know that you like Bubba Durbin. Got change. Bit. He's got a change up. He's got some moxie. I like that. That's the thing. Is Wei Chung Wang, the depth, depth chart guy here. Yes. You know who is a guy who had a really good year in Double A last year and has had big league experience. And, and that's and that's Tom Hondercourt sleeper. So really, this is another Adrian Hauser. I mean, these are all I. These are John, extra, these are spare parts, and those spare John, parts versus the Angels top ten, you know the going. Marlins top ten, or the Diamondbacks top ten. Seriously, the Brewers thirty-one to forty competes with the top tens of those bottom three organizations. It is there are reasons those guys aren't in their top thirty, but the depth of the Brewers system really okay. is something to behold. Okay, this will be our little exercise here. Okay, thirty-one because I don't even know who thirty-one through four because this is tough, but you. You start calling out 31 to 40 guys, and then I will compare it with Marlins. I'm pretty sure Tyrone Taylor was 31. Pretty okay. sure that's who we subscribers so let me find report on. Tyrone Taylor versus, there's a lot of pitchers. In, Tyrone Taylor versus Austin Dean, number eight on the Marlins list. I would take Tyrone Taylor 10 times out of 10. I, w- I would agree. Okay. I mean, it's a four, they're both 45 highs. But Tyrone Taylor. So, but but the, here, that's the way you do it. The BA grades allow you to do this Again, so easily. Kyle Wren versus Austin Dean. Michael Reed's a 45 high. Probably should have been a 40 medium. But because there's not very much high risk about him except that he strikes out a lot. But when you take him over uh, Austin Dean, yeah. easy. Yeah. So that's like number seven, number eight in the Ta- – no, Ta- he's higher now because the Marlins made trades. Yes. Ta- Taylor Williams, who you got there. Oh, that's easy. Taylor Williams, right-handed starting pitcher for the Brewers. Compare him to, say, Ed, you know, Dylan Peters is the lefty, but Dylan Peters. It's close. I, I kind of like Dylan, Dylan Peters because he's left-handed, but he's also 5'9". You know, I mean, I would say the Marlins, he might be advantage Tim Mar- Collins. Advantage Marlins, but it's not, that's not a, a massive advantage. Yeah, we'll see. Tim, you know, Taylor, the problem with Taylor Williams is he hasn't pitched in two years. Right. So, but at his best, he was every bit as good, if not better, than Dylan Peters. When he was healthy. So Cody Petit's fourteen on the Marlins list. And again, nothing against Cody Petit, but I could throw out the Wei Chung Wangs or Trey Supak. Yeah, John Perrin. Cody Petit and John Perrin are pretty similar. Command and control kind of college right handers. Those guys are in the draft kind of a dime a dozen. And John Perrin is deep on the right handers list uh, as a twenty three year old. Who finished the year in Double A and at Florida, the Florida State League, 1.55 walks per nine. He's 1.35 walks per nine for 200 pro innings. That guy's running way up a Marlins list. He's over Cody Poteet. So. Yadiel Rivera, who's not even the top, not top shortstop, right. not on the top 30. For right. Him. Again, you put him on the Angels or the Marlins list, he would. Oh, on the on the Angels, he's like there'd be three org reports written about him during the year. You know, uh, again. Tom's already exhausted his org report uh, total for Yadiel Rivera, who again is 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 glove over bat, significantly so. Um, you know, did not have a great year last year. That's why he's not in the top thirty. But yes, the system's depth. It doesn't just play out in the top ten, or we're talking about how number five Isan Diaz and number twelve Brett Phillips have the same BA grade. That's one sign of depth. The other sign of depth is that thirty-one to forty, thirty-one to fifty. Is robust. 51 to 60. I mean, like, yeah. again, some of, these, some of these guys... It's an impressive depth chart, JJ. The thing about the depth chart is is that it's just guy after guy. I'm like, hey, I've liked that guy for something at some point. And Tucker Newhouse, right. Ronnie Gideon. Like, there's just a number of these guys who you're like, ah, I mean, is he, is he surely going to make it? No, but 
Some of those guys are. Yeah, and one thing that does need to – I'll stress this again. Out of the top 30, 18 through the draft or, or, or originally signed by the Brewers, 12 via trades. That's big trades and little trades. That's Tyler Thornburg from Mauricio Dubon and Josh Pennington. You know, that's the Brett Phillips. It's all the, the first it's, three uh, guys. Aaron Hill for Aaron Wilkerson, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's it's big trades. It's little trades. It's guys who were there before David Stearns and guys who were there after David Stearns. Last thing to end on, really, JJ, I think with the, you know, we're, we're close to our 40 minute uh, usual podcast. Um, Brewers' path to winning, though. Is there a path in this division? Can they turn this depth into uh, wins at the big league level? It's going to be really, really hard. Because this is why we prefer star power to depth. Because they're going to have to have. They're going to have room for eight guys in the lineup, not 40. Right. They have the advantage right now. I've talked about the advantage you have as a team that's awful at the big league level is it allows you to give at bats and innings become a lot cheaper. Yeah, and when you at- find out who you find out. Okay, let's look, look, look at their big league depth chart. Well, Danny Santana, not Danny Santana, uh, the right hander, right fielder who they originally saw by the Phillies with the Astros. What's his first name? Domingo Santana. Domingo Santana. Thank you. Sunday Santana. Is Domingo Santana? going to be on this Brewers team when they contend again? I would say probably not because they have all these guys behind mm-hmm. them who I think have a chance to be better. But Domingo Santana is pretty interesting. He's got profile right they, field tools. They had the ability to say, Junior Guerra, here's the ball. Start. That's right. Oh, Junior Guerra's pretty good. Yeah. Jonathan VR. I mean. All-time, one of my all-time faves. But 65 extreme in the first handbook. A little too high on the grades. But. But the thing about it is, is that they had the at-bats to give him a chance to play every day. And this is what you, you – those are the benefits. Now, the thing that gets tough is they're getting to the point. A year or two from now, they will be where the Astros were when all of a sudden the Astros went from fielding, not ironically, Jonathan Villar, Domingo Santana. Right. You know, when they went from having no one to put out there to all of a sudden having, you know, a wave coming behind the guys you already have there. And it makes you make decisions. The Astros made a lot of good decisions in that case. They did let go J.D. Martinez right. in one that they really, really done. hurts. Yeah. You know, and so you have to – there's a lot of decisions that go with that. But they have to have some of these guys turn into stars, not right. just – Orlando Arcia from last year's number one prospect. It would help if he turned into a star. I don't know that he's going to turn into a star. I'm not sure the bat is there for him to be a star. I'm not as high on his I, offense – now as I was a year ago. I, I do think that they're – what I would put it as is that I think he'll have a year or two like that. I do worry about if it's going to be consistently at star level. I don't think it – I think it's probably more he'll – be a, he'll be a solid starter. But, again, they can experiment with, hey, let's go see if these KBO stats from Eric Thames translate. Um, I'm not sure if they really are going to go into the season and think Manny Pena is their starting catcher, but I do love them taking a chance on Andrew Susak. And Jeff yes. Bandy is also in that mix for them. So again, but, trade, so I think, trade. I think Susak, if Susak's healthy, I think he has a he has starting ability. Do you, do you wish that they if if you were going to try to be good this year? Obviously, you would have still had Jonathan Lucroy, but, but they've turned Lucroy into a pretty lucrative uh, trade. They tried twice. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Please um, take him. But you know, Travis Shaw, perfectly fine placeholder. Uh, our CNVR. One of those guys is going to still be part of this demo line. And the thing about the other it is, one, the other side will be San Diaz, I, I think. But you also, with that, is, is that some of these guys 
you you turn them into value because they're while they're not going to be part of your long term plans, you can continue to accumulate. They're right. still in the accumulation phase at this point. They're yeah. not. They're no longer. They're not in the distribution phase. They're and not the, a distributor. They're and an the accumulator. Last, and the thing is, they got more in terms of prospects for me back for Tyler Thornburg than the last trade we talked about. Jay Bruce got for the Reds. I understand that power only players don't. That the value for the market seems kind of flooded for them, but that doesn't make sense to me. That I don't. I don't think that's actually an accurate read of the market by the Reds. I think it was quite the move by the Brewers to get two legit prospects and a placeholder big leaguer in Travis Shaw for Tyler Thornburg, who's a very good middle reliever. Uh, Brewers pick ninth in the draft this year. This is not a great year to pick ninth in terms of when you're looking and we really like something up the middle, but they could get a fast-moving college pitcher at nine. Um, again, this is going to be a good draft. Though. Yes, it is a good draft at the top for sure. And again, when you say college pitchers, then, that's the thing that's been lacking yes, in recent years. After the last two be drafts for sure. And then what we'll see is what can they get back, if anything, for Ryan Braun? That's the last piece of this puzzle to me, JJ. Is that's the that's a big. It's a big monster ball hanging out there. Uh, I don't know what you can get for Ryan Braun, who statistically, when you look at what left fielders do in the big leagues. Ryan Braun is still one of the best big league left fielders out there. Um, I know he moved to right field a little bit, but back to left field really last year. Um, guy hit 300 with 30 home runs and a 36, 365 on base, and he didn't strike out 100 times. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know he's not MVP Ryan Braun. He probably should never have been MVP Ryan Braun. And he's clearly tainted by his past PED association, the biogenesis, all that stuff. But to me, uh, Ryan Braun, Braun is, in general, uh, a guy who's worth taking a chance on. And the power keeps coming back from that uh, hand-slash-wrist injury he had a couple years ago. But I, don't, I still don't know how much they can get for Ryan Braun in the trade. He is, after all, on the wrong side of 30, as they say. And, and he's a left fielder. But I feel like he would get more in a deal for me because he's a better defender than Jay Bruce. But I think significantly more because he's also been a better hitter consistently. Yeah, definitely. But he's, a, he's just a better player. I mean, he's I know a better player. There's I know no there's question the suspensions and all that. He's just a better player. He's a better player, but you don't win the press conference if that matters to you at all as a general manager. It shouldn't matter to you. That's the great thing is is that most teams though they, the reality is is that winning press conferences does not get it, you contract extensions. It shouldn't matter. And we've seen much to I know like on Twitter again. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. The reality of it is though is is that. Look, players who have domestic violence right. uh, on their in their background, the the GM's question is, can he help me win a World Series? That's the reality. The other question is, can you fit four years and seventy six million dollars? Yes, and that that's does the limit. Biggest, that's that the biggest limit. Question. Somewhat. That's the and thing. the more of that salary you can pay, the less in prospects you give up. So that's really the question: is how much of that contract do the Brewers want to eat in order to get more prospects? But they're not paying a whole lot of other guys right now a whole lot of money. Uh, Matt Garz is really the only other veteran guy who you could see if they rehabilitate. If he had a good two yes, months, the that payroll. You spin off the somewhere. payroll right now is uh, it, it, it's it's not just flexible, but it's small. Yeah, I mean, this is they are in the accumulation, and we don't pay a lot. Phase accumulation and evaluation right. phase, but right now, whereas the Astros got that guy in Carlos Correa and had that draft with Correa and Lucas uh, and Lance McCullers in that same draft. 
I don't think we but, see that guy. But the other thing that they did, and the other thing we've seen these teams do, I mean, look in their own division. As much as the Cubs spin on free agency in pit for pitching, it also was both the Astros and the Cubs during their accumulation phases took a chance on guys, pitchers who were who turned into I mean right. Corey, the, the Indians did it during their phase with Corey Kluber. It's finding and Carlos Carrasco and Carlos Carrasco. It's finding that if you can find one number one slash two yeah. on on the reclamation pile. And the thing about this is that you can. I mean, those guys do exist. It's tough, but look again in their own division. How often have the Pirates turned a uh, you know reclamation? Pro- AJ Burnett was a reclamation project, and they there are guys out there you know who you can do that. Junior Guerra is a nice story. He's not that level of reclamation project. Right now he's thirty one. That's the thing. He's thirty one years. What I'm old. saying, but what I'm saying is, is they have to find. I do think part of this comes down to scouting and development also in that. You don't just develop homegrown, but it is finding like, yeah. hey, can you throw Jake Arrieta into exactly. that Steve Clevenger deal? That's yeah, right. okay, sounds good. <laughs> that's right. That is, that's a big key to finding it. So uh, good luck to David Stearns and company in finding it, JJ. So um, yeah. it's going to be a challenge for, for those guys. Fun podcast today. We are going to jump a little bit in the schedule tomorrow. Tomorrow, Facebook Live also, uh, Tuesday, we're saying tomorrow, Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern, Facebook Live at facebook.com slash baseballamericamag. And then also the podcast tomorrow will be Padres. Then on Wednesday... We'll probably record Cardinals while we're in Secaucus. Yes. So we'll record Cardinals. So that'll be our Wednesday podcast. We'll be done with the Central then. We'll have four teams to go. We'll have a Top 100 podcast next week as well. And um, Facebook Live. on. We the may podcast. have a special guest or, or you know, at some point... Uh, to join in as well, but so we got a lot coming up, and we and all of it on the podcast again and Facebook Live. I want to remind you is sponsored by Baseballism. We thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off the field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out baseballism.com or visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter code BA2017, BA2017, and save 20% on your order. So thank you for Baseballism. Thank you for John Manuel. I'm J.J. Cooper. Talk to you tomorrow, but so long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.